This is Law Bites, a podcast with Michael Geist. Breaking news now, President Trump issued an executive order against the social media app TikTok. This order would ban TikTok from operating in the U.S. in 45 days if it is not sold by its Chinese parent company, ByteDance. It is alleged that TikTok collects users' data, allowing the Chinese Communist Party access to Americans' personal information. TikTok denies these charges. TikTok, the popular short-form video app, has found itself at the center of a global geopolitical fight between the United States and China. U.S. President Donald Trump, citing privacy, censorship, and national security concerns, first declared that his plan was to ban the app from the country and later followed up with an executive order prohibiting commercial activities with TikTok after a 45-day implementation period. The TikTok order was accompanied by a second order this one targeting Chinese internet giant Tencent and its WeChat application. What does the battle over TikTok and other Chinese-owned apps mean for their users and for the future of an open and accessible internet? Anupam Chander, who recently warned in a Washington Post editorial that the orders could be leading to the Great Firewall of America, is a law professor at Georgetown University and a leading expert on the global regulation of new technologies. Professor Chander joins me on the podcast to explain the recent developments, unpack the legal issues, and assess the broader geopolitical implications. Anupam, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Michael. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad that you're that you're willing to come on and talk about in a sense, the future of TikTok, which I think is a, a truly fascinating issue that cuts across so many digital policy and geopolitical issues. And I want to certainly spend some time on the terrific Washington Post piece that you wrote that looked at some of the recent developments and some of your concerns. But why don't we lay the groundwork a bit first? Uh, I think it's fair to say that just about anyone with teenage kids knows all about TikTok. But for those that don't, can you describe the app? its owner, and how it suddenly seems to find itself at the center of a political storm. Sure. So TikTok is an app that allows you to basically make 15-second videos. Um, They can be longer, they can be shorter, um, but it's really, uh, that's the kind of norm. It also makes it easy to to cut the video with uh, some piece of music that is licensed by TikTok. So TikTok's growth is almost unparalleled. Uh, you know, in uh, you know social media, so that's uh, saying a lot about how fast it's grown. It's very much an algorithmically curated feed, uh, and so the idea is that the algorithm that tries to figure out what you want from all the millions of videos available on its site and shows the, that to you. Um, so it's a remarkable uh, kind of uh, piece of, uh, of uh, global culture um, because it is transmitting stuff across the globe, but of course it might also uh, – so in other words, there's a huge amount of global sharing of information. It's owned, as you alluded, by a foreign company here, ByteDance. Uh, ByteDance is a Beijing-based enterprise um, and ByteDance in 2018 bought an app called Musical.ly, which had been based in Shanghai. Musical.ly is actually incorporated in, in California, um, 
Byte Dance, bought uh, musically and then reincorporated it, uh, it as TikTok in California. Uh, Byte Dance also has a Chinese language version of the app uh, for the Chinese market, uh, which is a separate app but probably runs the same underlying algorithm the the ai that is very that has turned out to be very clever um, and so this the incredible growth of the app has drawn some attention there has been now a growing technology trade war with china that we're aware of um, the focus has been in the 5g world of huawei as a target um, before that, there was ZTE, uh, and so you know other companies that because of ZTE was largely because of uh, 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 trade with uh, North Korea. ZTE was selling components in North, you know, had a third party that was uh, selling uh, its phones to North Korea, perhaps using uh, Qualcomm, I think, parts, uh, which would violate the U.S. trade embargo against uh, against North Korea. We had the big tech hearing in the middle of the week. That Friday of that big tech hearing, we saw news that the United States had suffered its biggest quarterly economic decline in recorded history. That evening, Donald Trump sought to change the, change the channel. Uh, and so what he did was he announced that he would ban TikTok, which he described as a kind of menace to American security and privacy. We learned from Microsoft, of all things, that the CEO, Satya Nadella, had placed a call to uh, Donald Trump and had spoken with Donald Trump about getting an approval to buy TikTok, for Microsoft to buy TikTok. And uh, they were told that, yes, they could continue with those negotiations. By the Monday morning, we heard from Trump that he wanted some kind of finder's fee, some kind of brokerage fee for ha having, having brokered a deal for Microsoft. Uh, so a large amount of money that he thought should go to the U.S. Treasury. A lot of weird, unusual actions that took place over a weekend. Uh, so in, in, in the span of three days, Trump announced a ban, a reprieve, and a shakedown. Uh, and so, uh, but then a few days later, the president issued an executive order declaring a national emergency because of the threat posed by TikTok. And then, for good measure, he threw in another executive order, all of a surprise, um, that there was also an emergency with respect to WeChat. So suddenly, uh, the, uh, this whole other messaging app uh, was now called into question. And so WeChat was to be banned 45 days from the date of that order. Uh, and that time is ticking fast, as you can imagine. So uh, WeChat is owned by a company called Tencent. Tencent also has enormous investments in a variety of companies that are active in the United States, including the company that owns Fortnite. Under the literal terms of the order, uh, all transactions with Tencent might be illegal, you know, and that might include something like purchasing an in-app purchase on Fortnite. Uh, it's unlikely that the ultimate Commerce Department regulations will, in fact, uh, ban gaming investments of, of Tencent. But in any case, it's, it's uh, interesting to see that the order could potentially reach far bro uh, broader than even TikTok.
Okay. So there's, there's an enormous amount there. Uh, yeah, you just done a, yeah. you've just done a great job of highlighting just uh, how this has, has unfolded and obviously huge amount of implications. Let's, let's try to unpack this a little bit. Sure. I thought, why don't we start first actually with some of the criticism that we've seen around TikTok, which has tended to focus on privacy issues and the prospect of the Chinese government accessing user data. Is this a legitimate concern? Is TikTok really that much different from some of the other social media companies, some of which you mentioned appeared before the U.S. Congress, that obviously are also engaged in accessing user data? So TikTok, I think, um, has has not uh, elaborated its content moderation policies in the context of a free speech environment that the United States social media companies have, uh, as, as they have done. So early on, uh, that meant that it censored more than the U.S. would certainly tolerate. Uh, and in, in, there was occasions that when TikTok censored speech about uh, Hong Kong protesters, uh, and so uh, TikTok has rapidly changed those policies on the global app, on the TikTok app, as opposed to the Chinese version of the app that's run by ByteDance itself from Beijing. Um, so, so from that perspective, um, there's the content moderation side, that is the censorship side of this app, which I think is which is quite important. Um, there's also, as you, you asked about the privacy issues involved, and that's been the focal point of the executive order, which is, is the app secretly monitoring us uh, and sending this information off to its uh, to the government masters in in Beijing. Um, and I think you rightly uh, point out that the app is likely not to be collecting any more information than is common among social media apps of its ilk. Uh, and so TikTok, uh, we see in numerous reports, is really just kind of middle, middle of the road on these questions of uh, information gathering. There has been a lot of kind of, I think, uh, misinformation about this that I just want to just kind of uh, clarify at the start. So one of the pieces that was circulated about TikTok is a piece that said that uh, it was spying on your clipboard. Um, and I don't know if uh, your users will have seen uh, the extensive reporting on TikTok uh, accessing your clipboard. The backstory is this. Some security researchers said iOS, uh, the Apple operating system for its iPhones, um, allows for uh, apps to access the clipboard without seeking a separate user permission to do so. Uh, and so, and then it said, let's look at what common apps are doing with respect to the clipboard. And it identified scores, literally scores of apps that were uh, accessing the clipboard very frequently. So essentially seeing what was on the clipboard uh, all the time. And the worry there is that your clipboard might, for example, include your passwords. I sometimes use the clipboard to copy an extensive long password that I've st stored in one place to another place. Um, and so, so, uh, so that is a serious concern. However, it turned out that this was as I said, a very common feature of lots and lots of apps. And TikTok explained that it used it as an anti-spam feature. Uh, so it was a way to discover if 
spammers were were trying to you know uh, kind of hijack the app, um, and it disabled this immediately once this was disclosed. Now, all the news accounts that have reported this reported that TikTok had, was doing this uh, this scary thing, um, and I think that. It, you know, it is wrong that TikTok should not have been doing that. I, I totally agree. But they didn't report that apps like the New York Times or National Public Radio also did the same thing. And so, um, and we generally presume that NPR is not trying to surveil us in any way and trying to hijack our, our passwords. Um, now, obviously, an app that's uh, Owned by uh, uh, China might raise different concerns than uh, than NPR or the New York Times, but I wanted to just say that we've assumed the worst in all cases when it's not clear that the, that is justified, and the reporting certainly didn't make this clear that this was a common feature of many popular apps, most of which we would feel are quite benign. Okay. I mean, it's good to get that that additional context around what TikTok is is doing, or and and whether or not it raises some of the concerns that that if you just read the headline, you might think exist. Uh, you mentioned the executive order that the, that Trump put out, really two executive orders dealing both with TikTok and, as you mentioned, WeChat. What's the legal basis for him targeting these companies? Great. So there had been uh, earlier. Uh, public notice uh, this last year of something called a CFIUS review. Uh, the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States, uh, a committee of leading government officials um, that examines foreign investment into the United States that has some kind of national security implications. Um, and so we had last seen that in operation in a very vivid way when uh, a foreign investment from China Kunlun had become the majority owner of Grindr, which is a, a dating app in the United States. Uh, and so that uh, CFIUS review had concluded that the Grindr acquisition exposed uh, sensitive information to uh, that, that could have been misused by the Chinese government. And CFIUS then ordered its, uh, the divestment of, uh, of uh, uh, told Kunlun that it had to sell to a non-Chinese owner. A year later, Kunlun divested itself of Grindr, exactly as it was told. Now, that process, as I said, was, pre was proceeding with respect to TikTok, so a, a security review as to whether or not it did, in fact, pose that threat uh, to, uh, to American national security. We never got a conclusion from that. Instead, uh, Donald Trump, uh, faced with uh, an enormous economic crisis, decided to, say, declare a national emergency under a different legal authority that he has, the International Emergency Economic Powers Act, IEPA, a 1970s statute that was first invoked by Jimmy Carter in regard to the Iran uh, hostage crisis. That statute allows the president to declare a national emergency and then gives him enormous powers, often described as sweeping powers, um, on the basis of a national emergency. In any case, the president used that power, TikTok, and surprisingly, as I said before, WeChat as well, to pose a national security threat to the United States. 
Uh, and uh, so that's where we are right now. So right now, the Commerce Department is supposed to issue implementing regulations to explain what transactions with these two companies will be banned um, as of 40 days from now. Thanks. So uh, TikTok and WeChat both declared to be uh, national security threats. TikTok has announced they're going to challenge this. Do uh, you have any thoughts on the on the likelihood of success, is, is, or is it still pretty uncertain until we see some of the more, more detailed regulations that are to come? It's hard to know. One, what kind of authority does the president have? Is it entirely unreviewable when he exercises uh, the authority under the IEPA? Um, and so there are some scholars of presidential power who, who argue essentially that uh, AIPA uh, national emergency declarations are not reviewable. Uh, and so, so uh, the president really has a kind of plenary power to declare and sweeping powers to, to enact uh, some response. Um, and so that this should be rather straightforward. Um, there are others who say, well, you know, there still has to be some kind of due process. So this is a taking. You're taking property. And this is here. Uh, TikTok is actually a California corporation, of all things. Um, it's owned by foreign investors, but it is a, a California corporation. Um, and you are really dramatically uh, reducing its value by making it, uh, declaring it illegal in the United States. Uh, and so that amounts to a taking, and therefore, under the Fifth Amendment, you have to give due process. The question is whether or not there is due process. There's also questions then, not just about TikTok, but about TikTok's users. Um, so one of the things that I think is really important to keep in mind is that TikTok is a perfect social media target for Donald Trump. TikTok is the one social media platform that he hasn't yet mastered. If you look at uh, Twitter, he's obviously a master of Twitter and has used it to great effect for, the, for many, many years. If you look at Facebook, we see again and again that Facebook has not acted strongly to censor uh, or to discipline uh, Donald Trump and his uh, and, and uh, right-wing speakers, uh, despite their repeated violations of its community guidelines. Uh, and so both Facebook and Twitter have proven to be very valuable to, to Donald Trump as has YouTube, where obviously uh, he's been able to post videos and his followers, et cetera, have been able to share. It's a really interesting point in perspective uh, on the issue about what makes some of this different, what makes TikTok different from some of the other social media companies and, and obviously some of the legal challenges that we're going to face. You mentioned that, that Trump also engaged in what I think you described as a shakedown um, in terms of saying that some of the value of this transaction, if TikTok is indeed sold, say to Microsoft, uh, would go to the U.S. Treasury. Is Are there legal grounds for doing that or making that kind of demand in the United States? I know that in Canada, 
We actually do have a, a system that requires a percentage of the sale value uh, in cultural transactions, certain, certain regulated broadcast transactions that require uh, regulatory approval, and it's designed to support Canadian content. And it's interesting from a Canadian perspective, some of the reports have indicated that the TikTok sale would involve more than just TikTok US, but would capture a number of the Five Eyes company, countries, including Canada. So he's making this demand. Does he have, in your view, legal grounds for doing so? So most of the uh, scholars I've spoken with uh, agree that uh, there is no base in the United States for him to demand for him to demand a piece of the action for the U.S. Treasury. Uh, so upon you know, so obviously there's income taxes and things like that, which can be recovered for any any transaction certainly. Um, but there's no uh, there is a little. Uh, typically for CFIUS, there has been up to a $300,000 fee that might be uh, collected based on the CFIUS review, but that's not, that's uh, bupkis in this context. It's not very much money, uh, and no one cares about that. That's not what he's talking about. Um, and so I think most uh, experts in the United States just say that's kind of puffery by Donald Trump. You've highlighted both the, some of the privacy-related issues and the similarities in certain respects with, uh, with U.S. and some of the other well-known social media companies, as well as some of the free speech implications, highlighting how TikTok engaged in a great level of censorship, at least early on, in comparison to some of the U.S. companies. But it's more than just, I think, the, the, those, le those legal issues, as well as the other legal issues you've highlighted. But as we said off the top, the geopolitical concerns that really come to the fore with respect to this issue. Uh, what are your thoughts on some of the broader implications of what, what certainly seems like a real escalation um, between the United States and China in the digital realm? Do you think it's likely that we're going to see some sort of escalation from a Chinese perspective against some of the U.S. companies, for example, as part of their response? So I've been surprised at the lack of a sharp countermeasures taken by China. Uh, they've obviously had uh, sharp words. They've said the U.S. is acting lawlessly. They uh, so where we often criticize of their lack of the rule of law, um, they are seeing this as evidence of our lack of a rule of law. Um, and so um, they say that uh, the great firewall of China uh, measures, uh, the Golden Shield, as it's described there. Um, has a basis in, in, in regulation, um, and this actually, they say, does not. I think that's, you know, uh, as I said, the IEPA statute is so broad that it might, it, that it might well authorize the president to do uh, uh, things like this, though, uh, though I think uh, the context may lead, leave us to be quite concerned, um, you know, and, and the legal challenge to yet be successful. Um, so I think the geopolitics, definitely what you're seeing is the breaking up of the web. Um, you're seeing a country, the United States, the champion of the open web, saying if it's a Chinese company that we're talking about, that's not allowable. Uh, and I think that is unfortunate and, and I think sends really the wrong message because the value of the internet has been uh, very much in its global nature, in our ability to share knowledge across the world. He's literally going after 
the information routes uh, for the Chinese diaspora across the world, uh, in particular WeChat. Uh, so WeChat is used by you know individuals to communicate with uh, other individuals across the world, uh, and so it's it's a remarkable uh, piece of social media. Um, so imagine if a con- so what I would would like I always like to th- think about. Imagine if a country, if a government that had been sharply criticized on WhatsApp decided to shut down WhatsApp three months before the election. We would be apoplectic that this was an election interference. So I think much of this has to be considered in the political context, but not just in the geopolitical context, which I think is is part of the context, but in a domestic political context. And I think that's really the driving feature here. It's it's doing two things. It's destabilizing a, a social media app that has turned out to be one of the uh, you know the sources of sharp criticism of him in the geopolitics part of this. What Trump is trying to do is to create the specter of China as a foreign menace to the United States. So he wants, you know, he, so in 2016, it was Mexicans coming across criminals uh, that were coming to, to harm us. In 2017, it was Muslims. We have to shut them down before they come here to harm us. In 2018, it was MS-13 coming up in caravans from El Salvador. And 2020, the Chinese are coming here, and they will soon be causing us all to speak Chinese, as he said he was protecting us from on Tuesday of this week. Uh, So all of that has to be seen as the context in which these asserted claims about uh, national security are being offered. Okay. So obviously sharply critical in terms of the what's driving this from a domestic perspective. Uh, I guess, uh, why don't we close, though, with the coming back to what in many ways was even a stronger statement, talking about the breaking up of the web uh, when you start seeing this take place as between different countries. Um, that's that, that sounds to me like a clarion call for, for some kind of response. Do you have some thoughts of how we do this better? I mean, it's, it strikes me that one of the things that's so challenging about this issue is that there are elements of concern that are quite legitimate. There are concerns around, as you mentioned, free speech. There are concerns around uh, privacy and data protection, even if it's spread more than, to more than just this company, but to a wide range of apps. And there are, of course, surveillance-related concerns, and those c- concerns cut across many countries, not just China, but the United States as well, as the recent Schrems decision showed us. How do, how do we, do we have a better way of grappling with this in a way that allows us to address some of the real concerns while at the same time not leading us down a path towards a, a real breaking up and, and essentially building virtual walls as between countries? So I think that's the key question, and I think it's a difficult question. Um, so one of the things that we have to kind of try to figure out is how can we feel comfortable as our data is racing around the world? Um, So that is a key question. It's the question that the European Union has been asking with respect to data flows outside Europe. 
um, it's it's a question that we are clearly asking um, in some some way, though not as explicit, uh, ex- explicitly in in connection with uh, with TikTok. And so, what we really have to do is have ways to audit, to uh, examine what's happening inside these companies, uh, to to really um, to have uh, you know Google and Apple. Uh, you know, which are mining the operating system, uh, ensure that the the uh, the apps are behaving. Um, we have to uh, you know take a variety of measures to create safety and security. But I want to say that this isn't an impossible task. Um, you guys in Canada, we in the United States, import food from all over the world. Okay. Uh, and what we've done is created supply chains that we think are safe. And the other thing to recognize in that context is that many of the illnesses, foodborne illnesses, illnesses in the United States are domestic. So, you know, we do have poisonings in the United States. They still exist. Um, and often, as often as not, they're from domestic produce. So I don't think we can, we should say that, um, data is unsafe if it comes from abroad or goes abroad, just as we shouldn't say that food is unsafe if it comes from, from abroad. Um, and I think Canadians obviously are uh, are, are uh, champions of trade. As a small country, you recognize the value of trade. Um, and as large, larger countries like China and the United States sometimes think trade is not critical. Um, but uh, but both these countries are, of course, the world's biggest traders, in fact, uh, and they depend upon exports and imports of uh, goods and services. And I think, you know, that is a world that it connects us and the Internet uh, binds us further together uh, and makes possible this incredible cultural flows and commercial flows that I think are hugely beneficial. Uh, and I think we should make sure that we don't sacrifice that uh, as we, as we, uh, we keep that very much in mind as we figure out how to regulate the internet. Sure. I mean, that you've, you've highlighted what for many is the real promise of the internet, but in recent years, I think people are realizing some of the, the risks and challenges and now layering on top of that, these, these emerging political issues, whether international or as you've highlighted domestic, uh, make this an incredibly interesting issue, but uh, an incredibly important and challenging one as well. The, uh, Anupam, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you, Michael. Super fun. Uh, thanks so much again. That's the Law Bites podcast for this week. If you have comments, suggestions, or other feedback, write to lawbites at pobox.com. Follow the podcast on Twitter at lawbitespod or Michael Geist at mgeist. You can download the latest episodes from my website at michaelgeist.ca or subscribe via RSS at Apple Podcast, Google, or Spotify. The Law Bites podcast is produced by Gerardo LeBron LeBoy. Music by the LeBoy brothers, Gerardo and Jose LeBron LeBoy. Credit information for the clips featured in this podcast can be found in the show notes for this episode at michaelgeist.ca. I'm Michael Geist. Thanks for listening, and see you next time. Mm-hmm.